You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And I would ask, please bow your hearts with me and ask for what God would do this morning. Uh, I've already, I really appreciate Tinka just being vulnerable and transparent up here. Uh, I've even already had to bow my own head, my own heart, and just ask for forgiveness and ask for strength um, and even reconciliation, which is great. This is in the middle of the ministry of reconciliation. This is the passage here. Uh, so, anyways, uh, truly, let's bow our heads and our hearts before God this morning and ask, ask Him to work. You're going to see a theme. We're really just going to ask the question multiple, multiple times this morning. Where is your heart? God, thank you so much for loving us. Lord, thank you for the strength that you give. Um, Lord, thank you for the gospel, and thank you for grace. Uh, Lord, we really we just are so thankful for the unmerited favor that you give us. God, we just ask that you would continue to um, take your truth with your spirit's power and plant it deep in our hearts. God, would you um, continue to rearrange the wiring of our souls, plugging the, the right cord into the right spot and unplugging this one. And Lord, would you just uh, have your way this morning with, with us. Lord, we, we look to you, we worship you, we're so thankful for you. So God, go before us now. Cleanse our hearts. Uh, Lord, if there's anything that just uh, keeps nagging us or bothering us or we just can't shake, Lord, would you just uh, bring that to the surface maybe this morning and give us the grace to deal with it, to give it to you and uh, watch you break it or shatter it or take it away or uh, Lord, maybe we need to step up or whatever the case may be, Lord, would you just work? And so God, we, we look to you now, uh, truly, Lord, we, we look to you and we are just so incredibly thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 2 Corinthians 6 is where we're at. I'll go ahead and read it. And then we will dive right in. All right, 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 13. Working together with him. Then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, <clears throat> slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wild. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. So I want us to right off the bat, I want us to identify three very simple thoughts here in just the first two the first two verses. So if you guys look at the first two verses, because there's really three main thoughts, okay? The first one is really an introduction where Paul is he's setting the stage. He's making a case where he's going to make his final 
13. And in the middle, he's going to essentially give his resume. He's going to give his history. He's going to give a little, a little personal testimony about how, what God's done in his life. But in the first two verses, I want us to see something, okay? Because this dramatically changes the way that we view ministry and the way that we view serving God. If we are Christians, that's exactly what we're called to do, is to serve God, to live for him. Right, we often think that ministry is just, it's just designated, it's just reserved for pastor, for David, for people on staff, for just certain, certain kinds of people. They're the only ones that minister. No, 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 no. You have taken the idea of ministry and you've made it something it wasn't designed to be. Okay, Ministry literally just comes from the word diaconal, which is where we get deacon, which is where we get servant. All right, so ministry is not this thing that, that we put on a pedestal and then we all are worshiping ministry. And so many times people, I've been guilty of this, they use ministry for their own gain, for their own selfishness, for, for their own pride, for their own egos to be stroked. It's literally just serving, right? It's serving God. It's serving others. All right, so it's not necessarily, man, I just want to be in ministry. Well, what, what if you change your thinking and, man, I just want to fit the qualifications of someone who would minister, right? And instead of getting into the game or whatever as far as ministry goes and having that plaque on your desk and having the whatever that comes along with being revered or whatever, what if we just change our mindset to just being servants, to just serving people, just loving Jesus and loving others, right? And, and so the first thing I want us to see right out of the gates Working together with him. Paul's writing on behalf of the apostles, on behalf of Timothy, Sylvanius, all the other apostles. He's saying, all right, all right, here we go. I'm working together with God. All right, so he immediately, he reestablishes the authority of our lives. All right, he reestablishes. He, he changes our mindset. He says, we, if, we, if we're going to engage in ministry, if we're going to be servants, we have to understand our authority. And it's not me. We have to push through that idea of ministry to the one who is the, the minister, the one who is the authority, the one who gives the power, the one who gives the grace, who gives them the filling of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, who gives a portion of himself. We look to him, all right? So immediately Paul establishes the authority for our lives and for our serving. You guys see that? And he lets us work together with him. All right, he's the boss. He's the one doing the minister. And, and yes, there's this idea of it's both of us, and it, it is us and God, but, but it's God. We're working together with him. He's not working together with us. So we come to him and we say, what do you have for me? Where do I go? What do I do? Who do you want me to be? You're the boss. All right, if you could, if there's a, this mental image I ran across this week, a guy named David Guzik, he shares this story. It's, it's just like me as the dad pushing the lawnmower, and then my little four-year-old gets his fake plastic lawnmower and comes behind me and starts doing it, right? <clears throat> That's the mindset here. God's the one who's actually doing it, and he's the one with the power and the authority, and we come behind him, we come under him, and we say, God, where are you working? Where do you want me to plug in? Here I am. I get my little lawnmower, and we think we're doing so much. Really, in all reality, God is the authority. He's the life source, and it all flows from, from him. So this morning, him. <clears throat> Yeah, this morning, what about your heart? Who is sitting in the driver's seat of your heart? Who are you serving? Are you viewing God as someone to be served, or are you expecting you yourself to be served? So often we get that out of order. We get that out of order where life so easily becomes what I want to accomplish, what I want by my name, what I think I can do in my power, in my time, in my way. 
see, no, 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 no. The authority of our lives is Jesus. So guys, are you living this morning to give or are you living to get? Are you planning, dreaming, scheming of all the ways you can bring success to yourself? Or are you firmly established in the authority of God in your heart? When we say, God, what you say goes. Where you lead, I follow. And you know what? Paul is actually talking here. He's talking to a group of people that are skeptical about him. They're skeptical towards him. This church at Corinth, they, have a, they really have a history with Paul, and, and they've struggled to have the right attitude toward him. So he's, he's just immediately, right out of the gates, he's saying, let's just reestablish this ministry and serving thing, all right? For you to think that I think this is all about me, it's not, all right? Can we just eliminate that right now? And that's crucial because of where he takes us in this passage. Right, we have to understand that he re-establishes the authority in his life, and it's God. God is the source of true service, of true ministry. He's the source of true heart change. God is not in it. I don't want to be. You guys with me on that? Does that make sense? Does that get you excited? Right? All right, sure, maybe some things are kind of pinging here and there where you think, okay, maybe I should look at that. That's okay. There's grace for that. All right? But that gets me excited. God, where are you working? I want to be there. I want in on it. So the first challenge from that first sub-point is who are you serving? Who am I living for? What do you think? Be honest with yourself right now. Who is it? Also, I want us to see a second thing. This is just by way of introduction. And honestly, I pretty much this morning have an intro and a conclusion, and we'll see, we'll see what God does in the middle, all right? Because I don't know. All right, so the second main thing that I want us to see, though, is that I want us to receive grace this morning with softened hearts. All right, verse 1. Working together with him. He's the authority. He's the lifeblood. He's the life source. Then Paul says, me and the apostles, me and the early church leaders, me and Timothy, we're appealing. We urge you. We're appealing to you. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't assume on God's grace. Don't just always expect that God is going to be patient and kind. And at the drop of a hat, whenever you're ready to go get it, you can go get it. That's not at all what he's saying here. He, he is saying, by a negative, he's saying we should rather... Let grace have its full effect in our lives. All right? Have you ever thought about that? Why grace? Why do we have it? Why does God give that so freely and so beautifully? He actually tells us in explicit terms in Titus chapter 2, we see the intended effect of grace. Okay? So follow with me here. I'll read it. For the grace of God has appeared, and there's really for three main reasons, all right? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, and then waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. All right, so this is the intended effect of grace. All right, If we are going to not let grace, if we're not going to receive grace in vain, that means we embrace grace and we, we go these three directions with it. Grace for salvation, Saving grace, right? Made available to, to all humanity. Saving grace, the kindness and the goodness of God that we just sang about, where he looks down from, from his holy temple and he looks down on earth and he says, that one's mine. I want that one. I forgive you. Come to me. Draw near to me. 
Right? Saving grace, where he, he's our substitutionary atonement, where he stands in our place and he takes the hit, and he does what for us what we could never do for ourselves, where he lives the perfect life, where he's the perfect lamb of God, whose blood is shed for us. And he says, come to me. All right? Awesome. That's saving grace. And then there's sanctifying grace, right? The kind of grace where God gives us what we just talked about, those little things that pinged in your life, like we were talking earlier, that maybe you're probably like, oh yeah, I should probably straighten that up. Oh yeah, I probably should. But there's grace for that. That's sanctifying grace. And we should let that have its effect in our lives. Alright? So what that means is that thing that you're caught up on, you're hung up on, you're smacked up on, you're maybe you're bruised by, it's time to deal with it. Right? Because there's grace for it now. And there will be a day where it might not be there. All right, let's keep going, though. It's also grace for glorification. That is when we are, when Jesus Christ returns and he calls the redeemed home, and we are, we are, we are reigning in eternity with him, and he gives us a new body that is, is, is spot-free, that is clean, and, and, and is full, our joy is, is finally made whole and made sight. And we're sitting at the feet of Jesus, and we can, we can run our fingers through his beard, and we can finally see what color hair he has, and we've got some ideas, but we can finally hear that the voice that he has and the inflection that he has, that is when we're finally glorified, and there's grace for that. This is a, the full effect of grace in our lives. That's what Titus 2 tells us. It's exactly that. So receiving God's grace, guys, it's meant to activate us. It's meant to get us on the field in the middle of the action. And when we take grace for granted, or we receive it in vain, it's like that granny with the smartphone. She's just texting and calling. She has no idea. It can change her life. All right? Karen's laughing real hard. We know. You're all over messaging, Karen. We, we know that you're not that great. But you are great. Thank you. And congratulations. Um, it's been a while. It's a long time coming. But it's like you have this thing that's like, the, you know, the 22nd century, is that what we're in, whichever one we're in, where it's like technology and it's pinnacle. We can, you know, like, it can track your sleep, it can track your food, it tracks your pulse, it, it tracks literally everything, which, again, there's some concerns there. But, uh, but it's still, you have all this potential in your hand, right? And then it just always blows your mind when this person has, like, the newest phone and they're, like, trying to send a text, and that's all. That's it's, it's not taking its full effect. Does that make sense? You bought a smartphone in vain. <laughs> Here's the challenge. Where are you at this morning with God's grace? Are you just sitting on it? Are you just presuming on it? Are you just sitting on your salvation like a 401k? Or are you opening up that message and letting those funds work? Are you unpacking what it means to serve a holy and risen Savior? Are you worshiping him, loving him, and adoring him, and giving it at all? Are you on the sidelines or on the field? Let's take God's grace. Let's receive it and apply it this morning, guys. It brings salvation. It brings change and sanctification. And one day soon, and very soon, it brings glorification. In the meantime, though, at the end of Titus chapter 2, it says this. Jesus gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself. This is grace at work. He's redeeming us. He's purifying us. A people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Nothing to do about salvation here. The results of salvation. Good works. What do we call that? We often call that service. We also call that ministry. 
ministering, serving people. And we're excited about it. We're zealous for it. And there are people in our church that are. You can see it. There are people that are doing great works and good works and serving behind the scenes that you may never see because they understand the authority of it. It all gets rolled up to God in the end. It's all him. It's not about me. It doesn't stop at my address. It's rolled up to the heavenly one. That's awesome. I also want us to see, the, I want us to understand the urgency. Okay? I, I often like to read a passage and I like to ask myself, what's at stake here? All right? What's at stake? If I do just presume on this grace, if I just kind of let this in and out, if I just take it in vain, what's at stake? Well, he tells us in verse 2, he says, for God says, and he's actually quoting Isaiah 49, verse 8 here. He says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. All right, quoting from Isaiah, voice of God. And then Paul, now speaking, he says, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Whether or not Paul's talking about the day that he penned this, we know that's probably not the case, right? Because he pens it, and then he sends it to them, right? And then they get it. So now couldn't have very been like, all right, I'm going to put the T down, and that means now. <laughs> this is the time. Now I'll be let off. You missed it. So he's talking about an age, right? We're in it. We're, we're this time period where God is willing to show mercy. And we're in it, guys. There is a time when God's grace is made available full and free. And don't receive it in vain. And so that saving grace, sanctifying grace, glorifying grace, especially the saving grace, guys, if we get to the end of our lives and we have not trusted Jesus, we breathe our last and we see him on judgment day, he's going to say one of two things, right? He's going to say, welcome home, good and faithful servant. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. His grace just ran out for you. So it's urgent. It means now is the time. Stop sitting on it. We've got to get up and out. This is an urgent appeal to the church at Corinth and by extension to us. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. This is the time to embrace the grace of Jesus. And just as it was for the church at Corinth, it's for Doxa Church today. This is the urgency of the message of ambassadors. Remember that from chapter 5? We are ambassadors. We are representatives of Jesus. Guys, this is the time to do it. In God's timeline, this is the time when God is willing to show grace to people. Are you currently experiencing anything right now? Are you, are you maybe starting to reflect a little bit or ask some questions, some introspective looks here? Maybe you're starting to sense some, some conviction. Now's the time to respond to that. Now's the time. And even, even Shakespeare got this right. He says this in Julius Caesar. He says, There is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. But omitted, all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and lagoons. We don't get our theology from Shakespeare, but that's pretty correct. I remember, I grew up in church, uh, came to Jesus when I was four, year old, four years old, forever indebted to Patch of Pirates. If you know, you know. <laughs> but I grew up in church, and I, I was able to kind of understand.
understand the system, play the game a little bit. And when I got older, even in high school, I started to rebel, started, started to have some serious selfishness come into play that still haunts me. But there was a youth conference <clears throat> that I went to, it was called Now. And up until that point in my life, I, I never thought that Christianity or, Christianity or religion was for now. It was always something that was there. And at any point I wanted to step into it, or at any point I wanted to embrace it, I could. And something about that particular youth conference just hit me in the face. Like, now is the time. Today is the day. And if it's not today, I probably won't do it. There's a reason that people sit in the pews for decades and decades and decades and decades and never get activated. Because they think it's just always going to be there. Before they know it, they've raised kids, they've had grandkids, and they're making poor decisions, and they're not following the Lord, and you say, well, what did you think? never step into the grace for that moment. Never step into it. And so I don't want to be caught in that. I don't want to be stuck on the sidelines. I want, I want to be on the field. And I think knowing most of you guys in the church, I think you're the same way. <clears throat> most people are. We don't want to be on the sidelines. We want to be involved. We want to be talking to the coach. We want to be contributing. We want to, we want to see what's going on. We want, to, we want to contribute. We want to give ourselves to it. All right, so the third challenge on the morning is that challenge is that is to get on the field. Aren't you tired of thinking that you'll serve Jesus one day? And this is what David alluded to. You're thinking that I'll serve Jesus one day because I'm not good enough today. No. God will not love you more next year. He will not love you more after you finally get it cleaned up. He won't. It's, his love is already fully resting on you right now. So step up, step into it. This is the challenge. Let's get on the field, guys. It's, it's one of those things. Whenever you want to, you think you can step into it. Yeah, don't have that mindset. No, no. That is receiving the grace of God in vain. So let's let's do it. Let's step up. Alright? You guys have something right now? Let's just take a minute, alright? Let's take a minute to look inside our own hearts right now. All right, let's ask ourselves, where do I need to step up? Or where do I need to step out? Maybe we are making some poor decisions. Maybe we are going, if we continue down this path, it's, it's not going to lead to the glory of God. Let's just take a moment. I'm going to play guitar up here for a bit, but that's a bad idea. Let's just, seriously, let's, let's bow our heads right now. And ask yourself this. There's something in my heart and in my life that's hindering me from getting in the field. <clears throat> something holding me back. Something that I can't let go of. Pain, a bruise, a hang up, a bang up.
church. Um, let's let's continue on. All right. So that was all introduction. Uh, three challenges. And Paul actually talks. He gives us a little bit of his resume here, and he uh, he actually he just he's very open. Vulnerable to Corinthians. He's he is he's just pouring his heart out. He is unreserved. All right. Hey, that's the passage of preaching, so just turn it up. <laughs> so let's jump in to verse three. We put no obstacle in anyone's way. So that no fault may be found with our ministry. Well, that's kind of interesting for him to say here. All right, so Paul, again, remember, he has a skeptic audience, skeptical audience that's looking at him. And they think that he might actually be in this for the money, for the fame, for the fortune. And he's trying to tell them, actually, that is not the case. He says, I have tried not to undermine God as the authority in my ministry. I've, I've tried very hard. He says that, but as uh, uh, verse 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way. He's actively tried not to trip anyone up, not to put stumbling blocks in, in someone's path, whether a Christian or an unbeliever. He wants them to run full and clean, straight to God. He doesn't want to be in their way. He wants to get out of the way. He, he knows that God is the life source, and so he's made it a lot, he's put a lot of effort so that no fault would be found with his ministry. Alright? He wants it to all be about God. So keep following with me, but verse 4, he says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. All right, so he says, We are approving ourselves, your translation might say. I'm, I'm going to show you, all right, that in every way, this has not been about me. This has not been about God. This has been about God all along, all right? I'm going to show you. And then he begins this long list of things that Paul and his team and his cohorts have experienced. And I will tell you this. You do not go through these things unless you have been deeply, personally changed by an incredible Jesus. You will not go through pretty much one or two of these things. You just won't do it unless you've been changed, unless you believe in the authority, which is God himself. And Paul, you better believe he believes. You better believe that his heart stopped when that light on the way to Damascus came down and he heard the voice of God. And it just shook him. It blinded him for three days. You better believe it. He is all about this, right? And so this is where he goes with it. He says, we commend ourselves in every way. All right? He's saying, listen up. All right, listen, listen up. Would I do this if it, if it was all about me? Would I do this if it was all about money? Because, again, there are people similar to today where they thought the ministry was about making money, was for the fortune and the fame that came with it. And Paul's saying, it's like, listen, about to tell you some things that's going to shatter that thing. Okay? And it's also, side note, it's going to shatter health, wealth, prosperity. It's going to blow that to bits. Because Paul literally tells us in explicit terms he had lost his health, he lost his wealth, he had no property of his own. He did not prosper monetarily. Alright? So let's just put side note back in this. <clears throat> By great endurance, first thing, we endure a lot. In afflictions, in hardships. You guys, if you know the story of Paul, what were some of Paul's hardships? Just shout them. You guys know this, right? What were some of Paul's hardships? And the next one, calamities. Just shout them. You know what this is. You know the story of Paul, right? 
God is the authority, and God is the giver of life, and God is the God that saves, that, that died on the cross and shed sufficient blood to cover the sins of the world, that I know that Jesus has the same power to save to the uttermost, to save the vilest of people, to take them from the worst place they've ever been, and redeem them, and call them mine, and give them a home and a future and inheritance. That's awesome. But he keeps going, and he says, beatings, imprisonments, Riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. He physically, his body took a beat. He went through the ring. Something about serving God, he does not promise you're never going to get hurt. He does not say, this is, never, this is always going to be easy. And it's always going to be with the phrase sunshine and rainbows, unicorns, butterflies, skittles. It's just not going to be that. This is actually the testimony that we see Paul giving us here. It's the complete opposite of that. But hold on to that, okay? Hold on to that because he concludes it and it's shocking. It doesn't make sense to respond the way he does, all right? So hold on to that. Then he changes it now. He changes it from really this, this physical toll that, it, that's been, that he's been beaten up and it's taken on his body. And he changes it, and now he says, through purity, okay, so now this is essentially, this is health along the way. This is the garden. This is what's inside his heart. If we were to take a peek, this is what's going on. He says, by purity, he's, he's remained chaste. That's what that means. He knowledge. He knows God. He's in the know. Patience. Kindness. The Holy Spirit. Man, this was unknown to unbelievers. It's still unknown to unbelievers that we have the third person of the Godhead who dwells within us, who guides us, who convicts us of, of sin and righteousness and leads unbelievers into a saving knowledge of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. He goes on, he says, genuine love, unfeigned love. He's trying to convince these skeptics. He's trying to say, listen, it's the real deal. I care about you. This happened to me recently. Someone started to talk to me, and I thought they were picking me apart and coming at me. And this person, being wise, mature enough, realized what was going on, that I got on the defensive, and he said, well, listen, 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 you got this all wrong. About you deeply. He's in this room and I'm not looking at him. He's <laughs> over there somewhere. He goes, he goes, he goes, you got this all wrong. I, I really care about you, Ben. I care about you. This is the real deal. I got it all wrong. And, and Paul's saying, guys, I think you've got me all wrong. You've got this whole following Christ thing all wrong. We have real love for you, we have real concern for you. It's the real deal. He goes on and he says, by truthful speech, I'm telling you, I've been honest all along. And then he says, the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. What does that mean? That means that he's just ready for what comes at him from all angles. All right? He stands prepped. He stands ready. All right? And sometimes that means you're ready to collapse into the arms of the one that loves you. But sometimes that means you step up and you sharpen those tools and you get ready to go to battle. But he's ready. He's ready for where the Holy Spirit and the power of God takes him. 
He says this through honor and dishonor. That's actually that's our word right there for doxa church. Through doxa, through glory and dishonor. Through and, and when he uses that word through, it actually carries with it this idea of endure. So along our service to Jesus, along the path that has been difficult, but we've also endured this. He says we have we we've endured. Slander, praise, honor, dishonor. We're actually treated as imposters, and yet we are true. We hold the keys of the kingdom. We hold the truth. We have it. We have it, but we're the ones that are treated as imposters. Then he goes, as unknown and yet well-known. I love this here, what this means. The, the word unknown there literally means being ignored. We have been ignored. Have you ever felt like you were ignored? Have you ever felt forgotten? Maybe like you don't exist? Like no one cares? Like is anyone ever going to look in the little shadow that you abide in? Are they ever going to see me? I have just been flat out ignored. Paul gets it. And you know in part what Paul has experienced. But he doesn't just say, well, I've just been ignored. And he kind of sits on the sidelines. He says, but no, actually, we're well known. So we went from being ignored to being fully recognized. Who fully recognizes us? Jesus. He fully recognizes us. Again, there will be a day when we do see him at last. There will be a day when, when we will set our eyes on him and we will fully recognize him. I cannot wait for that day. Where we will know exactly who it is who greets us at the pearly gates. Because we will see the stars in his hand and his feet. We will see the love and the compassion in his eyes. And we will know that's the one. I fully recognize that one. He's mine. And I want to run. Or I don't know. What's the song? Will I be able to stand it all? I don't know what will happen. But I'm going to fully recognize him. But in the meantime, I am fully recognized. And then he goes on and he says, As dying, and behold, we live. As punished and yet not killed. You have beaten me, imprisoned me, you've rioted against me, you've stoned me, taken actual physical stones and chucked them at his body. And he says, I'm like that little cockroach that won't go away. You have not killed me. I am surviving. All right? He walks through this and he says, As sorrowful in verse 10, yet always rejoicing. We can unpack that for days at a time. I think John Piper's committed like 10 years of his life to just unpack those five words. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As poor, yet making many rich. Again, he's, he's not, we cannot completely eliminate the, the idea that he could be talking about money here. Right? That would just kind of be being dishonest with the text. But he's not talking about money. Right? As poor as having no property, yet making many rich. We know he's not talking about money because he also wrote Ephesians, where he talks about the gifts and the riches that we have in Jesus, where Jesus is our inheritance, where Jesus is the, is, is the perfect example, where Jesus is the one who has given us all good things. We have access to all good things. So he's saying we're viewed as poor, but we actually are the ones that are being generous. We're the ones that abound in truth, that abound in love, that abound in acceptance, abound in forgiveness, abound in mercy. That's us. That's us as Christians. And he says, 
always see it, right? You don't look in my driveway and see a mound of jewels. You don't look in my backyard and, and see a castle. But every now and then you get to look into someone's heart. And you see the beauty and the peace and the kindness and the grace that abides in them. We get to see the heart of Paul and by extension the heart of Jesus. So you guys remember I said a whole lot of those things, but this is just remarkable how Paul responds to it. So Paul gives us his resume, he gives us a little history, he gives us a little, a little story time with Paul, all right? And as he's saying riots and calamities, and we're thinking through it like we did here, it's hitting us, oh yeah, he was shipwrecked, oh yeah, he was stoned, oh yeah, yeah, you're right, he was bit by a snake, he was bit by a snake, you guys remember that one? Came out of the fire and latched onto him? All right, now we're thinking through this. He has endured slander. People have made fun of him outright. He's just been belittled. He's been hated. Right? As, as he represents Christ, people absolutely hate this guy. Maybe you've experienced that. But he's just gone through the ringer. And he says this in verse 11. And this is what's the shocking part. Because I want you to put yourself in that shoe, in his shoes. You are beaten. Somebody made fun of you, right? Let's, let's go that route. Let's not get so bad. Someone makes fun of you. Someone lies about you at work. Someone uses their forked tongue to say the nastiest things to you. How do you respond? How would you respond? If someone mistreats you, how do you respond? Right, well, that's Paul. And this is how he responds. And again, you can't do this. You can't talk like this unless you've been changed deeply and personally by Jesus. He says, we have spoken freely to you. And people, commentators have said that this is maybe one of the most passionate uh, appellations he's ever given to someone. All right, where he says, oh, ye Corinthians. He says, our heart is wide open. Wait, some of the people in that room made fun of him. Some of the people that heard this very letter were the ones that mistreated him, that abused him, that hurt him, that pushed him down, kicked him to the curb, forgot him, ignored him. They're the very same people. And he says, no, my heart is wide open. saying, I'm not the problem. 
We're not the problem. You are. Your heart is messed up. And it actually, the language here talks about bowels. How bowels are not straightened. So there's rather this kind of gross thought where it's on you, though. He's not the one that's done that. That is you, Corinthians. You are the ones that you have not opened up your heart to me. You are the ones who are, even after I pour out my life and I bleed for you, you are still the ones that have not accepted me. You've not let me in. And this is exactly the, the posture that some of us and some of you have this morning where Jesus himself now, not Paul, where Jesus is saying, I've given it all for you. I've bled. I've died. I've given it all for you. And you've received my grace in vain. You've let it sit under your bed. You've put it in the closet. It is not activating you. It's not putting you on the front lines. You're just letting it rot. That's not the intent of his grace. And Paul comes down and he says, open your hearts. Again, in verse 13, he says, in return, I speak as the kids. So you can't miss it. Speaking to kids here, verse 13, widen your hearts also. You know, there's really only two verbs in this entire passage. And that is the culmination of the rest of the passage. Verses 1 through 12, verse 13 is the command. That's all. The only imperative in the whole chapter, or in the first 13 verses, is to open your hearts. To enlarge your hearts. Paul's saying, I have left room for you. Let me in. Jesus is saying, I have room for you. Let me in. There's still room, and there will always be room at the cross. There will be always be room for forgiveness. There will always, always, always be room for that, as long as your heart's still beating. But there will be a day, and we have to keep this in perspective. There, we have to. There will be a day when it, it's not there. When you breathe your lips, it's too late. You can't look back at your life and you can't be like, I wasted it. Because I always thought it was there. No, it's, it's for today. Now is the time. The urgency. The stakes are high. And Paul says there's room. And Jesus says there is room at the cross. Guys, this is the American church. We need this exacting admonishment today. All right? Where we, we have to understand this. That, that, that Paul here, in his response to, to them, we, we have to understand this. All right? We understand that this admonishment here, we've got to act like people who've actually been given eternal life. We have to live a way that warrants the gift that we've been given, that's worthy of the gift we've been given. Does that make sense? All right, if I give you a million dollars, what do you do? You get pumped about it. You get excited. It changes your life. All right, stupid, terrible example. I'm almost done here. I hope this doesn't reroute us. My, my friend was, his name's Kevin Harris. He was on The Price is Right. Do you know Kevin? Yes, and it, it, you can find it on YouTube, all right? He's on The Price is Right, and they call his name up, all right? They call his name up to the stage, and he brings all of his friends with him, and they're all in uniforms, and they look super hideous, but he literally jumps the entire time, right? He's literally up, he's jumping the entire time that he's on TV. The whole, and he's literally, he's hugging the models and hugging everybody. He's just like going nuts, all right? And then he wins. He actually won the truck, the trip to Aruba and some like appliances or something. He wins, The Price is Right. Right? But I, I'm laughing at this goofy kid because he jumped the whole thing. And I look at that and I say, that response makes sense. Right? The jumping around, the excitement warrants him being chosen. And so when I look at this and I look at us as Christians and the way that we, we live our lives, we just show that grace aside and we, we, we don't receive it and, and, and use it and apply it and receive it in vain. When I look at that, the way we live our lives, it doesn't match the gift that we've been given. And again, this is, this is the American church. This is us, guys. Sometimes this is 
people who have a faithful friend who will never leave us or forsake us. We, we, we don't act like people who share the power of the Holy Spirit and who act like people who would ever be willing to go through torture, through beatings, riots, calamities, imprisonment. We don't act like that. We too often respond to God's grace by putting it away. The saving, sanctifying, glorifying grace of God is the best gift we've ever been given, and it deserves front and center. And the gift warrants a worthy response. So again, I repeat, where's your heart this morning? Are you sitting on the bench? Are you still in the locker room putting some band-aids on your boobs? You've been given a reason for indomitable joy. You've been given insurmountable victory. Christian, you will never lose. So we should live in a way that is worthy of the gift we've been given. Worship team, come on. We're going we're gonna to take another second. We're going to wrap this up. You guys just play through something, and we're just, again, let's just bow our hearts and our heads before the Lord this morning. And let's, again, ask ourselves, where's my heart? Am I living in a way that's worthy of the gift that I've been given, the grace, the kindness, the patience, the peace that I've been given? And some of you are shut off like the Corinthians. If you could go on for pages and pages all the things that Jesus has done for you. But you're so mad at someone. There's no room in your heart for loving anyone for yourself. There's also some of you who are living wide open. Praise God for that. Keep it going. You are grabbing God's grace and you are owning it, embracing it, and He's applying it to your life. It's a beautiful thing. Keep going. But some of you are still trapped. You are consumed by the pain of your own sin. Past the sin in your own life. God wants you to soar, my friend. He wants me to soar. God, anyone can come on down. And here's the call. I want to get off the bench. I want to pull God's grace out of the closet, back out from under the bed. I want to apply it to my life, starting now. He tells us, today is the day this is the day of salvation. This is urgent. Your wife needs this. Your kids need this. The church needs this. We need you, Christian. Get off the bench. So come on down if you're in.